Hey man, real excited, real excited. Um, yeah, I mean, so this is this is a space that's going to go through a bit of the fundamentals of NFT marketing and insights from the people here that have launched their own projects, building up amazing personal brands around content creation, um, or even doing like uh, Mickey was saying over here as well, agency work and doing sellouts, back to back sellouts. And so, I think this is going to be a space where we're going to talk about effective launch strategies, marketing tactics, things to be cognizant of when you're building something in the NFT landscape and you're trying to build for success. I mean, as we all know, this is a this is a market that is very dependent on attention. If you have attention, you win. If you don't have attention, you often don't win. And founded on the success of attention is marketing. You need to be good at marketing. You need to be good at understanding and capturing an audience in order to capture that attention and drive whatever your key objectives are, whether it's sales or conversions or community growth and whatever. Um, so, yeah. And I mean, I guess like one of the, one of the first topics that I think we should kick off with is so many people in the discord insurgents and so many people over Twitter DM'd or like replied to that post saying, you know, how the fuck do I launch a project and get the traction that everyone else gets within the first couple of days? Like there are these cracker projects that come out of the scenes and have thousands of followers and a few hundred engagements on their tweets out of the gate. And obviously on the other end of the spectrum, there's people that are trying to grind their Twitter up and only get a few interactions, maybe tens of followers from their own personal network. I've got my own take on this as well, but I'm happy for someone else to break this down too because this has been a question that was asked by many. You know, effective launch strategies, small-time founder coming to the space, how should I launch something of my own, whether it's a product, a business, um, an NFT community. And I think Seven is in the crowd as well. So Seven Seven was a big uh, questionnaire of that. Oh, Emma, you, you, you're putting your hand up on that one? You got good insights? <laughs> well, I actually think I do have a pretty decent yeah. insight. So I um, started actually kicking off a marketing campaign maybe about like nine months ago when I was probably about four months deep into the NFT space. Um, at that point, I hadn't really taken the chance or taken the time to really grow my personal brand beforehand. Uh, And I think it's really important to realize that behind every NFT project that you see that jumps out the gates and has thousands of likes or interactions or whatever, there's so much personal branding and behind the Mm. scenes marketing and connection that goes into doing something like that and accomplishing something like that. Um, So I found that, that it wasn't successful. I actually didn't proceed with minting the project or going ahead for that reason to begin with um and now instead basically spent the last sort of 12 months working my personal brand which has really really opened up so many more opportunities for me now um yeah so my thoughts is obviously if you don't have the product just yet or you don't have the eyes on the product just yet work on getting eyes on yourself and that will open doors for you in terms of the business as well yeah Hey, you are the personal branding queen out there. I've seen you <laughs> rocketing away with your sappy seals. <laughs> oh, man. Hey, Nikki G. Buy seals. Buy seals, get engagement. <laughs> oh, man. Thanks. Hey, if you ever want a uh, boost of engagement, just pick up a sappy seals, 100%. 100%. <laughs> Nikki. You know, you know what's hilarious? You're actually not wrong at all. Like, actually pick up a sappy seals if you want to boost your engagement. A llama does the same thing. So does uh, the frogs. What are they called again? Uh, the plagues, guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, there's a group of them that if you want to pick up engagement, it, it's it's so true. Like I remember I swept the sappy seals when I was in New York, and Wob and Dahlia posted about it, and immediately hundreds, hundreds of engagements. So yeah, that is a growth hack for sure. Working with them, but 
Um, you know what? One thing that I say about everything in this space that I work with, because everything has to do with um, your, first of all, your personal brand. And second of all, your, your network, right? Like it, people are sick and tired of hearing me say this over and over again, but your network is so freaking important in this space that it doesn't matter who you are. You could be literally anybody. If you ha- are connected to the right people, you can easily, like all these projects that blow up, they, they have an advisor, they have somebody that is connected to a large group of, of top tier projects. Yeah. With yeah. that, every single time, the recipe is reach out to your network, uh, offer, uh, you know, early spots, basically saying, Hey guys, this is project is coming out. This is what it's about. This is why it's cool. Assuming that you're just, you're working for like a solid, you know, project. It's not just any random PFP or something like that, but you say, um, show some support on this post. We're going to post it here. Here's a pre-mint for your group, um, to kind of enter in and, you know, and that's kind of the recipe that most projects are going about right now is, is all this behind the scenes type of engagement, force engagement and uh, notability mm. early on. And it works right now because that's that's the meta, but like obviously adapting, right? So like earlier, the easiest thing to do, you know, January was go to a bunch of influencers and say, here's 100 spots to our drop. Please, uh, you know, do a giveaway. And then you get 25,000 uh, engagement on that giveaway and the project blows up. Yeah. So times have changed and being adaptive to that is, you know, how you stay successful. Yeah, 100%. I mean, like Mickey here comes from a marketing agency background and like Nikki, you've seen some projects come through and uh, it'd probably be nice to support a lot of them um, here and there and you see what, what has been done uh, well and not well when people launch. What do you think are like the common pitfalls that people like underestimate when they launch a project? Like The, com- the common things that you see that you would have like been like to them, oh shit, I would have done that completely differently if you, if you got me involved earlier. Yeah. Like a lot of it is, is marketing material. People just think that you can throw your NFTs out there and people are going to love them. They might not hit for everybody. Right. So like it's, it's a different feeling for everyone. And the one thing that I would change is, is obviously the, cause like, because I work with an agency and because we work with like a large roster of very popular people, like, mm a lot of projects just think they can come to us and, you know, do a few giveaways and their project's going to blow up and that's that. And then if it doesn't, they blame us to say like, Hey, it didn't work, but you can't come with the preconceived notion that like doing collaborations with people is like your gift, your like God's gift to you as, you know, as a project, right. You have to make people want to be a part of your project. Right. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's what I would say is like, make sure number one, you're, your marketing material is is on par you'll see there's a few different ways to do this so i'll take kpr verse for example kpr verse the first thing they did was drop their website because that website was done phenomenally and it was done and it was in a way that hasn't been seen in the space really before right and that website alone was enough to you know bump the project up in people's eyes and you know get it in front of um the main stage audience, I guess you can say. Yeah. The entire yeah. space was talking about it, man. Like for yeah. nonstop. Yeah. And then like the other thing is, is something like uh, ether or Valhalla have outstanding uh, marketing material. So ether mm. had the animations and the, um, the really cool marketing content done. And just alone with that, like if you do that strategy of reaching out to a network uh, with a marketing uh, material, that's that kind of quality the people that are liking and sharing it are doing it because they think it's cool. Yeah. And also yeah. 
that gets it in front of the wider audience, which then you have a you have a viral moment. And then that project is bound bound for success because now everybody sees it and they want to be a part of it because of the quality of the content. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. I I completely agree with that. I think then also when the quality suffers, you know, because not everyone can nail uh, the quality of content that Ether does. So then it seems like when you were talking about the collaborations and the giveaways and people expecting results from that, it seems to be that people neglect the importance of once you acquire that new audience the effort that you need to put into engaging them and actually communicating with them the, the value of your project and the reasons for why they would want to spend time understanding and investing into your project. Like people just seem to think their collaborations is enough, right? And, and then obviously they probably often put the blame on you in the end, <laughs> like the blame on whoever, whoever's trying to support them. Um, yeah. You're, you're completely right. Like, and just, just like, so people, if, if anybody here doesn't know, like, you know, what, what qualifies me to say stuff like this is just like, nothing really qualifies me to say it, but like, I feel like I've had a good run in the space in terms of like mm. experience. Um, if anyone doesn't know, we've worked with close to or over 260 NFT projects and we've helped generate over $170 million in mint revenue um, in 10 months. So we've been around the block, right? Um We've seen it all. Like I, I've literally seen it all. Yeah. And at this point in time, you can tell which projects are destined to fail and which projects are, you know, have a chance to to do something cool. Uh, from at this point in time. Uh, holy fuck! All right, all right. My co-founder rugged this space. <laughs> holy shit, bro! We've gone like what two 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 months without rugging a space and then it had to happen today esteemed bro I, esteemed you mother i see you bro esteemed bro. yo 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 listen 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 listen, listen, listen. i was yeah, doing yeah, the fucking yeah. dishes and it cut out it went quiet and i was like oh bro that does not sound right i went yeah all right all right sure sure bro. Fuck, i told you what i was doing <laughs> Right, Yo, no, nah, but I'm so sorry, guys. I genuinely, yeah, I yeah, I just, I just, we we all love you. <laughs> but my my armpits are sweating. I ain't gonna lie, man. Hey, apologies, guys. Um, sorry about that, guys. <laughs> all right, what was I saying? What was I? What was I fucking saying? All right, after I was talking about buying you earphones, record. I was gonna jump to Mickey because yo, Mickey, break it down, man. Last time we chatted, you were working on a project. I don't know if I can say it. Am I allowed to say it? Yeah, yeah I mean, there's like two of them that I want to talk about. So, yeah. And you were talking about, you know, how you were grinding, you're fucking go- going out there with grit, man. It was stressful. You're working hard. And then now we come back here today. We we're on this space together and it was an absolute fucking success. Sellout. Yeah, man. Um, it was it was super cool. They did like 500 ETH and, you know, 15 seconds or I'm sorry, 15 minutes. Um, but I mean, like, you know, I played a role in just being able to help amplify, um, I guess you could say what they were putting out. They were able to sell the vision, not the aesthetic. Um, I think that's super important. And, you know, marketing, we kind of have like a, a thing when, when pitching clients, it's, uh, like sell the results, not the product. And I think being able to portray the founder's passion and the vision of the project was super important. It's kind of something that we really emphasize in everything we do. I love it, man. Hey, what do you think was the biggest contributing factors to the success of its launch 
right? Like, okay, when it came to market, what were the unique things that the team did to bring it to market well? And then what was like the, the biggest contributing factor to its sellout as well over time? Like maybe mm, the tactics that you used, right there. Yeah, yeah. the marketing decisions yeah, that you so, made. Yeah, great question. So, you know, I mean, with it being the bear market, I think having a strategic number of whitelist wallets um, and the whitelist was important. We were able to collect, you know, 40 plus thousand wallets, which was great. Um, but I think the most important thing that we were able to portray was the fact that Helix was a VC funded company. They raised four plus million dollars and they really did not need the success of the sale to further their project. Um, where a lot of projects go wrong is they say, hey, guys, here are all these unfulfillable roadmap promises. And to be able to fulfill them, we need to sell out and we need to ra raise some outrageous number. What we were able to do is say basically like, hey, guys, we are funded for the next you know, two to three years to come. We want to give you guys an opportunity to indulge in our ecosystem for the price of 0.1 ETH. And it was taken over super well. Being able to you know, go to AMAs, showcase the game, live demos, etc., people really bought it and uh, it proved to be a super successful tactic. Mm -hmm. right, I fuck with that. But one thing to be cognizant of, right? 99% uh, of projects out there probably can't get VC funding. So what would be your tip, like advice, something that you took away from Helix and you would say, hey, you can actually implement these, these things yourself, right? You can't depend on some VC announcement. You can't depend on uh, some huge amount of shilling from the best of the best, et cetera. This is what you should be doing. Yeah, so I'd say it's two main things. Um, kind of like I said, selling the vision. Uh, I think that's mm. really important. You want your investors to be excited. I'm sorry, investors, holders. I don't want to like regulate anything, but uh, you want the people that are you know purchasing your project to be excited about the the potential. Um, you know, coming to market with a unique USP is absolutely crucial. And then mm. lastly, I'd say having team members that can you know, are enthusiastic about sharing your project and can adequately, you know, uh, I guess you say market, uh, you know, it's just team is everything, right? Uh, super important. Yeah. No, I think that's a, that's a, that's a really good point. And uh, for those people in the surges community, right, everyone knows Ryojin, absolute goaded uh, web developer. Ryojin founded Mochimo and he, all he's been doing for the past few months has been absolutely going hard on personal branding and networking. Not even with the, the, the biggest people in the space, just networking with other builders, other contributors to other projects, right? That guy did a sellout over a couple, I think a few weeks of marketing and work, all because he was able to form a team that believed in him in his vision and was happy to to market the project through their pages and you and give access to their personal network, right? I think it's just a testament to the power of a network effect if you have a really good vision, personal, uh, like a brand, a vision to sell. A thousand percent. I mean, like, you know, Nikki was saying, your, your network is your net worth. And if you can amplify that by 10 or 15 team members who have, you know, everyone has, you know, I guess you say diverse networks, everyone's connected to different people. And when they can go out and, you know, share to their, their network and, you know, portray that USP to their network, it's absolutely like invaluable. Like it's insane. Yeah. hundred percent. I, I think a bush turkey just walked into my house. So I just had to run it out. Um, hey, thrown. How you doing? And then 10-8 after. Yo, what up, what up? Thanks for having me up here. Um, I've been meaning to come up in your spaces. Um, uh, I know you all have been hosting these. All love. Oh, oh man, yeah, I feel so I feel so um, blushing that you're here, man. Uh, I mean, 
Um, I'm flattered to hear that, brother. Um, <laughs> much love, much love. Um, but yeah, I'm, I was, I just had a question for Mickey because, you know, a lot of the decisions that I make and a lot of the different kind of feedback that I look for to drive my decisions um, are, are really analytically driven. And, you know, it's, I see Mickey that, you know, your metric driven results proven and, you know, you have your hands in marketing. So I'm just looking to learn from other people in the space. What are some metrics and analytics that you're looking for in the space when you're kind of looking to create these go-to-market strategies and like, how are you getting them from the space? Because it's, it's hard to get data within the space right now because it's not properly aggregated in a lot of different factors. Yeah, that was actually uh, a fantastic question. Thank you for asking. So, I mean, if you go back, you know, fast forward six months or so, there was kind of like a time in the market where basically your your um, social media aesthetic was everything, right? Like if you just had high follower count, high Discord members, people didn't give a fuck about, um, sorry, if I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on here, but people didn't really care about, you know, the, the quality of those followers, but then it kind of shifted. So something that my agency does, I'd say like, you know, decently well, is we've developed in-house software that can essentially target influencers. So when we onboard a new project, new client into our um, ecosystem, we, we kind of say like, who, who is this person's target audience? And doing so we can find uh, through our software influencers who would be best to work with. Like if you're marketing you know, a blockchain gaming project, you're not gonna want to uh, partner with someone who's out there endorsing PFP profile pictures. Um, so we've developed a pretty like cool little algorithm to help us determine who are the people we can, you know, best convert because, you know, in the bear market, working with budget is tough conversions are everything being able to tap into networks that are, that are high converting and extract the most value from the budget is super important. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I just wanted to kind of follow up. Um, and like, how do you define who to go after and like, what are the different like conversion metrics that you're looking for? Um, just, yeah, I think this would really help us, you know, figure out like the top of the funnel flow and allow us to identify leads better. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I really like, and I mean, me and you can follow up on this later cause I don't want to like spill too much, but um, focusing on like newly minted projects is something that has worked very well in the bear market. For instance, we identified 750 people of, I don't want to say the project's name, but for Helix, we identified 750 people who had recently minted an NFT project and posted about it on their social media. Through that, we targeted them in our Twitter post. We, you know, tagged them. We had our mods tag them in it. And out of those 750 people, 500 of them ended up minting. It was an insane conversion rate, right? But it just goes to show you that um, people in the NFT space really appreciate the, the one-on-one connection really appreciate you know being attended to um and yeah i mean that was like 65 plus percent so that was really cool but yeah message me and i can share more i feel like i've been talking for a while so i want to give other people a chance cool man yeah i appreciate that um yeah just looking for different ways to reach a broader audience right conversion is super super important um, I mean, some of the things that we were looking at is like, hey, how many like from a macro perspective, how many different wallets are being active in terms of like actual individual wallets um, and not just like, you know, alt accounts. Right. 
and what are the different balances that are distributed across these wallets and what are the different kind of NFTs that they have, right? Because obviously we know that certain target audience members uh, share and hold certain NFTs that is going to fit your target audience better. So doing that and then also having like the application process where they need to connect their wallet and connect their Twitter where you can see the numbers of like, hey, on the back end, when was their Twitter account created? Like how many followers do they have? Like what? And then kind of combining that with like their actual wallets and on-chain data has been really good for qualifying leads and then getting like the subjective uh, qualification where you're able to get some of their application like answers as well. That's been super helpful. Um, so yeah, just, just kind of sharing that as, you know, one of the methods that we were, that we used to kind of like curate our audience. And then, and like you were saying that one-on-one -on -one reach really, really helps. Um, and, and that's like the, you know, in the trenches work, right? I was going to say, were you using the Etherscan API? Like maybe you had like a list of addresses and then you use that Etherscan API to get the like historical net worth of a, of a wallet. Um, maybe the blue chips that were top 50 NFTs that they've held and it lists it out in, a, in like a Google sheet or whatever uh, tracker that you were using. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty, I mean, like I, I'm not like technically savvy enough to do yeah. that, but you know, if you have a team who can get that data, which it is very possible to do, right? I mean, you're just checking their wallet and on-chain data. Mm -hmm. um, so you could even come up with something that really you have, let's say like, certain factors that weigh like the scoring system for like let's say you can quantify a wallet and you know be, be like okay this person has held these amount of nfts for this yeah. amount of time before they flipped it and then assign them like a flipper versus investor score for example yeah. <laughs> um, that's like a very very like crude way but some way you can look at like on-chain data to be able to like quote unquote qualify them yeah. and then you can also tell like oh when was like the wallet creation date um and you know using like the twitter api data uh, api data you can kind of see like oh when was this created so you know th there's there's all these different things you can do from like an actual on-chain perspective but also like the social perspective right and yeah. you can also look at like things like nft inspect if you really wanted to um yeah. as to like how you connect that data and scrape them um, that's more like you know i'd need to rely on the devs for that mm. um but yeah these are the these are some of the things that you know i've you know the and and the team have like kind of thought about but yeah always looking for more ways to qualify people in like a more systematic way rather than like a qualitative way because if you are looking to you know work with like a real enterprise client um they're gonna want to see some more like numbers. you know hard numbers and metrics yeah. um and yeah, like like real, yeah, like real stuff like that. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Hey, Nikki G. Hey, I just wanted to tap in a little bit here in terms of like some of the stuff that's being discussed. I think you're you guys are totally right. Metrics are very very important. I think like you know we're putting a very very high uh, concentration on metrics right now, especially when you you are right because we are working with a few brands and and. Uh, companies right now and, and all they want to see is is like oh well like how can you track this data or like how is this data relevant or like you know they basically want to know how you're achieving what you're achieving even though you can say oh well, we got you 100 collabs and you know 50,000 people wanted to come into the space like that's great but um if you can't show them how it happened or through what channels it happened it's not really valuable to them because they want to understand their their consumers 
um, nine times out of 10, well, 10 times out of 10. Right. Um, but yeah, metrics is like super hard to, to, to get. And that data is, it's actually out there and you'd be surprised at how easily you can access it. Um, just for example, like all of the raffle bots, think of how much data that they process day to day. It's actually an absurd amount of data uh, that they get every single day from entries to winners to wallets to ETH in the wallet to what NFTs are in the wallet, your time of holding an NFT. Um, you know, you can profile these consumers. It's just nobody has created the tech yet to actually profile these specific consumers, right? In this space, actually, like using the on-chain data. So it, it's all there. It just needs to be built, more or less. Um, mm-hmm. And that's something we're really focusing on coming up, so... Yeah, I was going to say, whoever builds that first, let us know. That sounds insane. Because I know one of the people that uh, Steamed was working with, um, they've got a collection that's coming to market and they've got this idea of doing an auction for higher ticket sales. And one of the questions that they had and using the method that Throne was suggesting uh, or talking about there uh, was that they wanted to identify out of the people that have joined the community or have submitted a wallet, who of them have a net worth of above like 10, 20 ETH or whatever? Who could we reach out to for white glove services to educate them and have one-on-one chats to see if they're interested in entering the auction as well for, for a limited, like a, a very exclusive sale. So that the, the ability to bring in data is like, it's real, it's there. And you just got to be, you know, creative. You got to be, you got to challenge yourself uh, to get out of there. And I know Ripcord, you had an idea similar to this and then we'll go to 10, eight. I <laughs> see so you're oh, very yeah. eager to talk my man. <laughs> Oh, no, I think a lot of this, I mean, the idea we discussed was months ago, right? So to do exactly this uh, and more with respect to collecting wallets and then how you could leverage the data intelligence to do better with mints and NFTs and uh, manage your community expectations, uh, blah, blah. But yeah. it's good that uh, this is what the space is thinking about now, which only means we were almost in a way pioneers of the idea just that we never put it to use uh, for various reasons but nevertheless it, it's it's all correct the data that ethoscan gives it and uh, the ability to leverage it is pretty much there the only challenge there is because everyone uses bunch of wallets it sometimes gets tricky to associate and reassociate uh, the wallets to uh, individual but I think it's it's all good D- data like I always say is the most powerful thing that you can have today I love it. I love it. 8-10-8, the Wolf of Dubai. Let's go. Hey, hey. hey. Uh, well, this is an open question, really. Um, so when we're talking about marketing, uh, marketing is great. The other question that comes in then is the price, right? So let's say you have a shit ton of wallets collected, uh, signed up, and then you're moving towards mint. Many times it does happen that because of the price, uh, people just don't mint, right? So how important is that balance really um, between marketing and price and getting that mix right. Um, Cause can you really market an unmarketable product? You know what I mean? So yeah, I mean, anyone can go really. I mean, this includes rug projects because those are the most successful, well-marketed ones. <laughs> Wait, tonight, was this a uh, question more, more like specifically focused on pricing strategy like how do you define a suitable price for your product or yeah i mean um you okay so you could take it okay uh in terms of pricing strategy but then more towards okay you have set a price um and then you know marketing comes in 
so can you really end up marketing successfully and minting out a project uh, when your price model is not correct? Just because there's been a push from the founders, let's say that, uh, yes, this is the price we want and you just need to market it at this price and that's it. Because there have been projects that have done it, right? They've set un- very unrealistic price uh, points, uh, essentially, and I've gone nowhere regardless, by the way, of 50, 60,000 wallets, um, you know, collected just because of the price. Yeah. Okay. Then I can split that up into two things. I think maybe, for example, the people that are dealing with agency work or like, you know, clients in the past, have you guys ever run into a client that has set a, a price that is making you comfortable? And how did you go about coming to a compromise or, or dealing with that? Yeah, Nikki. All, all, literally all the time. <laughs> is This happens so often, way more than you would think. And the reason is because people set unrealistic expectations for raises. I think we, we spoke on this earlier in terms of like touching on um, you know, raising money for a project. I think Mickey said basically like projects think that they can just throw out a roadmap and, and raise money. And if they don't, they're failures. But this is like a lot of the time, the issue is that they set this unrealistic expectation of a, uh, a certain raise that they want to do instead of doing it like, you know, the typical VC route that most projects I think is a really good thing if they do. Um, people tend to do it through their mint price. Like, oh, I need to raise this because I need to cover my costs and then have enough money to build out the rest of the project. And, you know, we're working with, like, multiple projects. There's been one recently that's, like, super, super accommodative. And I think that they're, because they're accommodative, they may not have, like, the most innovative project out there, but they have a pretty cool project with some brand, some IP. Like, uh, not in terms of, like, a Web2 IP, but, like, it's uh, developable. And basically, like, they were super, like, um, willing to okay yeah like we'll drop the price if that's what the market wants right now or if, like if this is what's best for the project and I think that they're going to do super super well uh, and probably sell out because of their willingness to do that the projects that are like very stiff like we have worked with many projects where they're like no like we want to do a one ETH Dutch auction <laughs> like all right bye <laughs> um but yeah, it's it's very important to be flexible uh, on on mint pricing, and it's, it's always a, a lot of the reason projects don't release mint price or supply until a lot closer to their date is because you need to be able to analyze the market, what the market wants, what it needs. Um, you can't drop a, a one ETH ten k PFP collection; it won't it won't do anything. Um, but if if there is a reason for a one ETH price, like you know, I know that there's a project coming out soon that is going to have a a higher price point, but it's justified, right? Um, keep your eyes open because there's a, a large brand entering the space. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I guess I, I rambled on a bit, but that's my point there. You have mm. to be able to be flexible uh, with the supply and prices. And, and a lot of projects do give you a, a hard time from an agency perspective about this. Yeah, yeah. No, that's beautiful, Nikki. Thanks, man. Hey, um, Maybe one, of, I know this is like often a stupid question, but uh, like 10 people have asked it in the Google forms, believe it or not. <laughs> Many people have asked this to me like by DMs or by voice chats here and there. What is, do you think by market uh, definition, a good mint price and a good supply? What makes you happy and sleep at night? What is a sexy number to you? And I know there's so many nuances to this question. I keep telling people, right? It depends on like what, 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 what is the cost of the business? What are they trying to do? What are 
is it an exclusive club? Are they trying to create a, a widespread community? You know, trying to aim for adoption, whatever. But they they keep on pressing for that answer, right, Nikki? <laughs> that was directed to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe okay. and maybe we can look at this look at this down the lens of just PFP projects because maybe other projects might be too um, is too many nuances to something that maybe has like a, a full blown tech product behind it, etc. I think this case like it's very very important to have perspective so perspective is everything all right because realistically people don't care about what price certain things are at like people will pay 0.75 ETH example for a pfp project they will and and the proof is in the pudding is that every single day there's secondary transactions on pfp projects above those prices right just because it's new to market doesn't make it different than the ones that are already existing Right. They already have built up a community. They've already built up and established like, you know, their presence in the space. I get that. But what's to say that there's nobody else who, who else can come in and, and establish themselves, even if it is at a higher price? Maybe it's a more exclusive job. So there's a lot of factors. But what I would say is perspective is everything. So we all know about Pixelmon. We all know about PXN. We all know about those projects that minted for insanely high prices because during that time, even though ETH was double, almost triple what it is right now people were willing to pay that much for a project at that specific time. If you think about it, that was like $8,000 mints, right? Projects were netting $40 million from a mint, which is absurd. Um, but the, the fact of the matter is, is that there was a time where people were paying $8,000 to buy a PFP, which they didn't know what else was involved with it, right? And if you look at that now, if someone tried to charge eight ETH for a project or seven and a half ETH for a project, what would you do immediately? You'd run for the hills. Everybody and their mothers would fund that project to zero. But if you just say, but hey, we're just like PXN, we're just like Pixelmon, they'd be like, yeah, but those failed. And, you know, there was a time when people were paying that much money for them. So I think perspective is very important because like when you have brands and companies entering into the space, especially if in the gaming sector and especially in the anything that has to do with IP, those companies and brands need to make a substantial amount of money to um, basically make a use case to their board of directors to say, hey, this is a good move for us to enter into Web3. Look, we've netted $1 million, $2 million from our mint, and you know this is going to go right back into the ecosystem. They don't need the money. They just need the, the proof that this is a direction that their company should take, right? Yeah. So like... For example, if a brand enters the space at a 0.25 ETH mint price, people would probably freak out. But at the end of the day, if that brand does well, you better believe that they're going to onboard 30 other Web2 brands into the space through the platform that they have and through the connections that they already have. Hmm. That's what I would say. Appetite and perspective are very, very important in terms of these pricings. And I don't think that there's anything out of the ordinary. I think like we can even see a successful 1 ETH mint price for a 10K project again. I don't think it's out of the books. Yeah, but yeah. it's you know where the where the market right now. Anyways. It's like it's all situational, right? I mean, that's such a broad question. It's like asking, 100%. yo, like, like, yo, like Nikki, like, what, what's like your ideal girl, right? It's like that's gonna be a very different answer if I ask Chris or Ash hey. or me. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, what's what, what's like your ideal girl, right? 
I don't know. It's like the market conditions may be different. Like you may be in college or you may be, you know, you may be in the workforce or you may be 40 and you may be divorced. Like, you know, it all depends on the market and the macro broader conditions. And then there's also like this aspect of like how attractive are you? You know, are you a are you a hard <laughs> six and a soft seven? Yeah. Are you like a, are uh, this you a is such nine? a fucking beautiful. This is beautiful. <laughs> right. This is are the best like example. Ten? Like. Are you, are you like a short king summer? Are you like five two and you gotta wear tin so you can make up a couple inches? Like it, it all depends on like now there's like the macro and then like how attractive are you as a project, right? What's the demand for you? So it's really balancing this supply and demand that's out there for you know like for you and for like the people out there but also being situationally aware of like what's going on and being flexible, right? I, Nikki, you made a good point on this. Like, you never know if there's gotta be a black swan event. Like, imagine like, like this whole FTX thing happened. You were the most anticipated project in the space, right? And everybody's like, you know what? 0.5 ETH per, for your mint for your 5K. That sounds reasonable. And then this whole FTX thing like hits, right? And then you're supposed to mint tomorrow. Like, then what happens, right? Like, do you go ahead and like change it, or do you just kind of like go ahead with it? And you just increase your risk. So you just have to be situationally aware and really listen to feedback from people that you trust, um, which tend to be like the leaders in the space. Um, yeah. And then just kind of take it from there. I, I don't know if I froze or not. Um, no, but no. yeah, that, that's what I would have to say. That was so beautiful. And I like that point that you made about how beautiful are you like, but uh, with respect to the project that you're building, because I think founders should be real with themselves or have people that are very honest around them to tell them, hey, your project is like, it's not going to fucking mint out of this, right? It's so easy to, to understand and identify that. But the dangerous thing is, is that often in, in Web3 especially, you can be, you can find yourself so easily surrounded by yes people, like people that are just going to say yes to you and not be critically honest with you. Um, definitely one thing to be cognizant about when you're asking these questions too. Community feedback is going to be key for that, 100%. Um, now, no way. Are you asking a question in case Emma wants to butt in? It depends. I have a question, but, but Emma can butt into my question if she feels like it. Yeah, I, I just wanted to oh, sort no, of. Oh, you just got butt in. Go in. Ahead. <laughs> See you later. Sorry, no, it's, it's relevant to the topic. I'm sorry. Um, but you also have to think about like whether you're looking for scalability or exclusivity when it comes to collection sizes. So, for example, we have 180,000 registered users at Pummel. If we released a 300 collection, I would probably get some death threats the next day. So <laughs> it really depends on like what your what your business is like. So it's just such an open-ended mm. question, really difficult to really answer and very situational. So mm. yeah, mm. it's kind of like are you looking for like a like a one-night stand or just like an open relationship or are you trying to like lock somebody down for the long term, right? It's just like it, it, it's just you you have different goals and projects have different missions and they have different things they're trying to do so you know you have to be aware of your situation right oh, and then man. you got to communicate that to the other other side and to your audience so communication is obviously really important honestly like if you're a good project lead like i think um if somebody's in like that's why i'm kind of bullish on people that are like married in the space and they have like families and you know they have like healthy relationships because obviously they know like the communication aspect they know how to like keep a working relationship and especially with like you know people with parents uh, i mean people with kids like parents with kids like they have stuff to lose 
So they kind of like work harder. I mean, I know that moms actually tend to be like some of the best employees and workers um, in like the workforce. So, you know, these people who have who are like kind of mature, they have families, they're in like happy relationships. Uh, I think um, they can take a lot of the things that make them successful in their personal lives and then translate them into like the NFT space or just in business in general, to be honest. Yo, always with the value, man. Hey, no way. I'm sorry. Are you like upset and not wanting to ask you a question anymore? Or are you yeah, still You give it a little okay. thumbs up. But Emma's, Emma's, Emma's welcome to butt into this question anytime she wants. Office, oh. office still stands. And and for throwing, I'll, I'll try and put it in, into dating terms as well. So, uh, oh, let's do it. So it's clear for you. <laughs> Um, I just want to. I just want to ask, like the panel, um, you've all had a lot of experience um, with with uh, building and, and developing projects, and I see, especially these days, that projects either make it or break it right out of the gate. Either have a fantastic project and it goes really well, or it goes shit. Right? It just it doesn't work. Um, mm. There are certain non negotiables that um, that projects seem to to fail, and. Um, I refer to them just in my language, in my operational language, as dissatisfiers, that um, features of a project that um, if they exist, um, everyone is happy, in it, but if, they, if, they, if it doesn't exist, it creates this strong dissatisfaction. So it's like a must-have. And, um, for example, um, that, that I'll give is, is like if, if, if they mess up the, um, the Mint website, like if it, that crashes, it's gone, right? No one's minting. Um, so I just wanted to hear um, from the panel what you think, like maybe your, your top um, dissatisfies. What 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 does a project need to get right um, in order to um, to have a strong strong project from the get go? So and just putting this into dating terms, um, you know, if you were having a like a, a blind date um, and you saw the date, and, and you know, what what would make you run and and just not say hi to them? I can take a crack at this, but I can't put it into dating terms. I'm not that creative. Um, but <clears throat> when I was trading a lot back in the days, right, one of my core, like number one checkboxes that I always used to look for is does the founder behind the project have a personal brand and do they truly care about their personal brand and the network they're building and to the point where they would hate to damage it in any way possible? Because often you see that a lot of the rug pulls or the, the, the shitty projects that go down the drain often don't have a founder behind it where um, where they're trying to actively build up their personal brand and connections and, and loyalty and respect in the space, right? Um, in fact, the people that are following that project are following the project, not the founder. But often I do believe that solid projects have uh, a good amount of community that are following the project because of the founder, because of the person behind it, right? Like I wasn't, I wasn't like, you know, looking at KPR just because it was KPR. I was there because Throne and Chris was just fucking absolutely crashing it every day. You know, the, the casual chats with him here and there was, was the thing that would build up that loyalty and respect, especially with the entire surgeons community. Like, I'm pretty sure everyone was sold on that because of those small interactions we had day in, day out. Um, so that's, that's my number one thing, which is, you know, personal brand for the founder and their active effort to build that up and build respect in relationships in the space. Anyone else? Who, who wants to come in? 10-8. I mean, I just have a follow-up question on that then, right? So is it personal brand before project brand or is it, uh, or is it the fact that a project, if done right, can lead to a successful personal brand, right? 
because it's not that every project that comes out is led by uh, people with with great personal connections and personal brands, right? So what really goes first? Or is it sort of like what matters at that minute? I mean, I think both is correct. It's just that um, not having a personal brand beforehand is going to probably extend your journey to being a successful project. Like, for example, with Surgeons, right? I started nine months ago with fucking no connections in the space at all except for the degenerate traders that I was with in real life, right? Um, And I started Alpha Club with my personal brand. And fuck, man, like if I could go back to then, I would have just first put a lot more effort into my personal brand and connecting around, then started a project after um, having a good you know, support network around me. However, because of building Alpha Club and then Surgeons, right, I was also able to benefit from the personal branding opportunities that it's presented to me. Um, I think Mickey had a thing to say. No, I mean, like, I, I kind of wanted to comment on something earlier, but I, I think you answered that question perfectly, actually. Ah, okay. Pibbles. 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 Hey, hey. Pibbles. hey, hey. Um, this isn't just like, this isn't like a jab at you guys or anything. More, probably just like a comment oh, about the space. Um, you guys talk a lot about marketing and, like, selling out and minting out and, like, all this sort of stuff, which is which is great and all, but what do you think about the space in terms of, you know, like you said, ninety nine percent of all the projects end up slow rugging. They don't bring the utility into um, what they promise and all that sort of stuff. And yet, your, oh, I guess the aim of this space is to talk about marketing and minting out. You know, ninety nine percent of projects that don't actually deliver on what you guys market it to be do you guys have any sort of reservations about that i think nikki's nikki can go and then mickey the nikki mickey combo <laughs> i know I, it's been fucking uh, funny, man i'm like who are you talking to all right nikki know, take it away said, and i'll follow up he said mickey last time i was like wait does that mean um <laughs> anyways yeah pills so i i do want to comment on this so yes and no because as a marketing uh i guess team member or agency or advisor or whichever you are your job is to market the product and market what you know the team is is trying to sell right so we are not really like it's not my responsibility to follow the project you know eight months later and make sure that they deliver i will help market and get the word out of what they say that they will do and it is ultimately on the team to deliver Right. Like I, I understand how, how that sounds controversial, but it's the same way in Web2 and anywhere with a marketing department or marketing agencies. Your job is to do the best that you can to, to deliver um, an audience to your clients. Right. And it's up to the audience to, number one, obviously doing your own research. You can't say this aren't enough. And I know it's like the whole like cliche. It's like, oh, yeah, DYOR. But it's it's true in anything that you do in life. Any investments you make, you have to be able to convince yourself you should if if I market a project to you and you're really interested in that project, you want to buy it, you should be able to sell it to me. Like you should be able to turn around, have a conversation with me and sell me on why I should buy into that project. Right? If you're gonna be buying into it yourself. That's the way I think about it. So, like what I would say is there's sure there's reservations. If I look back, like like I said, we worked with like 260 projects or something like that. Like during the bear the the bull market, there was tons of projects that we worked with that probably don't exist today right do i feel bad about like you know 
that project got a bunch of money and, you know, people got burned on it probably. Yeah, that sucks for them. But also at the same time, like, did, did I do what I was set out to do in terms of marketing? Like, did I help the project? And you know what, there would probably be a good portion of people that did make money off of most of those because of the bull market, the, the nature of the bull market and the way that it was working and the way that every project was selling out and then instantly 2x to 3xing automatically, right? So obviously there's bag holders, obviously there's people at the end of the day that lose. It's a zero sum game. When you're in this market, there's only so much liquidity and it's being passed around amongst each other. So there's always a loser in most cases. I bought this board ape at 90 ETH, just so you guys know. So I'm I'm the loser in this case. But <laughs> um, what I would say though is like, is there reservations? Some. But at the end of the day, you do your job as a marketing person or agency or team member or advisor, whatever you are. And your you know, your job is to bring audience. So that's what I'll say. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I'll just like follow up on that. And I'm, I'm pretty sure I can speak for everyone who's like actively taking on clients. But I mean, you bring up a good point, right? Like, I think all of us um, in the moment, we do our personal best due diligence. You know, as a brand, we have a reputation to uphold. You probably know that Web3 is 99%. There's success in it, at least. It's attributed to reputation. You've seen some of the quote unquote influencers go down pretty hard over the last weeks because, you know, they're messing up their reputation. So, I mean, I think we choose projects to work with that you know in in the moment might seem like good plays right um and unfortunately just the way that the market moves and the fact that you know the nft community has the attention span of a goldfish uh some of these you know projects and some of these people who want to build they're not rewarded through market conditions like i mean if you look at the stock market like these big players whose market caps are down 80 plus percent um or nft projects whose floor price is down 95 plus percent it's out of their control and they are suffering from something that they cannot control yet the you know word rug would be attributed to them so i mean at the end of the day uh i personally i'm probably speaking for everyone here do our best to make sure that we're partnering with projects that we can get the job done while maintaining our, you know, reputation and hopefully that the market will reward them later on. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, just uh, in terms of all the discussions we've been having, uh, you know, when I'm comparing it to the traditional world um, where marketing has really been looked as a support service function, right? It's really just there. It follows a top-down approach, you know, dictated that needs to be sold is sold, right? Whether that yields and has not, that comes later. Uh, however, in the in the Web three world and and well, I guess even in the startup culture, marketing is really looked at as a strategic function that dictates a lot of the decisions taken by the project. I know that's personally happened with me as well, uh, with whatever I'm doing. Where you know I had not spoken to a marketing person, but when I did, it sort of just pivoted the entire thing that I was working right and in a meaningful manner so my question essentially is you know when's the best time to get uh marketing advisors on board right um to ensure right at the get-go you're following a successful model now i i, I myself am not qualified as an advisor so i cannot answer this but i'm sure people here can answer what was the question? When should you get a marketing person? Mm, mm. Like someone to come in and advise the direction of a project yeah, with, with specific focus or emphasis on marketing as well. When, when's the right time for someone to call that on? Yeah. 
Well, ten eight. I think you got the right foundation. You're asking like the right question, right? And you and you mentioned it's it's like in Web two when you see like a workforce cutoff, right? You see like employment employees being laid off. Where do you see the uh, where do you see the layoff coming first? It always comes from marketing, right? Um, it's because it's shown as a more like a dispensable role in Web two. where a lot of the job is dependent on the business devs and the operational leads and a lot of like the strategic leads, right? Um, and the financial roles, which are seen as more like you can operate marketing and creating that brand. Um, so they, they kind of need to be on the team since day one, where I, I guess you could have like the founder and the operation and like the biz dev and the lead actually have like a dual function in marketing, but it, it really is important for you to have somebody who can take charge of like that digital, like creative role where they're able to be like, Hey, we need to create this post and, you know, it needs to align with this announcement that we'll be going. And, you know, they are able to walk a work like cross functionally, as opposed to just being like, a lag a lagging um like person in the organization right so as opposed to like traditional marketing where like the marketing comes like after things have been decided marketing needs to take like an active approach and be more working in like a cross-functional um cross-functional what is it it's like like method where they can't be siloed into being like hey go and do this because you have to know like hey what are the things a team is going to deliver and how much of that is going to be like a certainty that they're going to be delivered and like when can they deliver it okay like once that's been decided we can decide okay this these are the things that we're going to announce um and these are the things that we're going to like hold back just in case they don't happen right so you're like a marketing person and a pr person and a salesperson because you're like helping with the collapse stuff as well Um, so like it's it's extremely cross-functional and like it, it becomes more than just marketing right um so yeah it's it's definitely really interesting um i think a lot of people don't consider like oh like for marketing you also need like graphic design and you need to be talking to people in discord and things like that so i, I think it's a pivotal role um it's essential and you should have them from the beginning That's great because, um, you know, I come from a very um, traditional upbringing where if I ever had to tell my parents that I'm going into the marketing field, uh, that's it. I mean, I wouldn't hear the last of it, right? Uh, just because of <clears throat> how it was looked at in the traditional world. But now, I mean, it's changing not just in the space that we're in, but uh, even in larger organizations where they are considering it one of the more strategic functions and going uh, and seeking active advice, uh, you know, throughout uh, whatever they're building and whatever they're putting out there. So no, thanks for that. Hey, um, I'm, I know I said I wasn't creative before and I might regret this, but I'm going to bring in like a dating analogy here. It's hard. It's difficult. It's, it's very hard to save a failing relationship, right? So I think that if a project starts on the wrong foot, or continually progresses without that proper guidance and advisory or advice from you know, good trained marketers, it's hard for someone to come in two months in and fix it up and put it on the right direction as opposed to having full control of the direction from the start, like day one, and hitting the ground running at like a phenomenal pace.
That's uh, how, how did I do throat? How did I do? Was that good or bad? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it was it was pretty good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you also have to like manage, you know, managing expectations part of PR, right? And I think marketing is like a big part of it because you can't like over promise as well. Um, and there's if you, I mean, this is like a good problem to have. You could even get to the point where you're building too much hype. And then now, let's say like the actual product or the things that are being built behind the scenes, like let's say the creative direction or the art or the actual like revenue generating operations just don't live up to it. Then you now face the problem of like, okay, it opens, the project opens at like a good floor, but then there's nothing to support it. So it just comes crashing down, right? So it's for marketing, I think you need to balance like, okay, like, can we sell out this project? But then how do we make sure that it's also sustainable after? Um, and then like, if you are working up to just like the project launch and then you're not going to stay on after you have to think about like, okay, how can we create a system where we can put another person in place that can emulate exactly what you were doing? Right. So just think about things in like short term and long term and balancing those decisions and making sure that you're kind of like managing expectations along the way is, it's really, really challenging, but these are all things that you have to think about in terms of marketing. Um, but yeah, no, I think, uh, your, your analogy was good. Uh, yeah, it's, it's all about expectation setting. Um, and it's hard to, it's hard to fix things, right? You might, mm. you, you just want to, you know, if, if you could be perfect at all times, I mean, that'd be great, but yeah, that's, that's a challenge that comes with it. Um, mm. yeah, it's, yeah. nobody has a perfect relationship. You're going to go through some shit, but it's kind of like how you come out of it. That's really important. Yeah. Um, and that that also marketing also goes into community creations process, right? Which is like a whole nother different conversation, which dives into like community management. But they're all intertwined, and you have to work together. Um, if you work in silos, it's all gonna be disjointed, and your communities they're they're gonna pick up on it real fast because they're, they're gonna be like these guys are not working together. Um, the the messages are just you know they're not lining up. And that that really affects the um, the holder's confidence, right? Ten eight. Are you happy with that? <laughs> yeah, indeed. I mean, that's been uh, super valuable, and it's it's good to know uh, all these sort of things because a lot of people, especially when they're starting something new, um, don't uh, think about it. They're just so focused on building something, uh, and then realize at a later stage that whatever they've built, uh, they've been building. Uh, it's probably not going to work unless they pivot and effectively market, right? So that's great. Thanks. Yeah. I think one thing that people shouldn't be too scared of as well is doing a pivot, doing a rebrand or a reposition. Because I think one of the best things that we've done at Surgeons is a pivot. I know my friend at uh, Royal Block Food, one, is the best, one of the best things that he's done in his journey was also pivot his brand and his, uh, his offering and positioning. Um, yeah. You know what's funny? I... My uh, my follow-up question was actually going to be, is it okay to pivot? Uh, and sort of how do you deal with pivots, right? Um, can effective marketing save, uh, I wouldn't say a rug project, but a project going nowhere um, for months uh, just because it's been done right now? I mean, as soon as the founder gets a sense that what they're building doesn't have market fit or doesn't have appetite, I think the thought of the pivot should come. But uh, I think... That within the pivot, it's it's a it's a process where you have to involve some sort of community feedback loop as well. 
Like if you're going to pivot, what are you going to do? What are you going to pivot to? Why are you pivoting? Like what did you, what were you setting out that might not have been appealing to the audience that you were trying to target? Maybe it was just a mismatch of audience or what you were offering was just not in demand at all in this market. That was beautiful. Beautifully said, Mickey. I, um, I think it's coming up to the hour and a half mark. So we should probably wrap things up. I just want to give a few shout outs, right? Shout out to Esteemed for that magnificent rug at the very start of the space. I still remember and I'm going to continue to hold this to my grave. It's, I think, the fifth time that this has happened. Now, shout out to all the speakers though as well. Mickey G, Ash, Mickey. Uh, we had Throne as well and uh, Chris A from, K, uh, from KPR coming up to Emma, 10-8, Nogway, Sasha for all the questions as well. I mean, Ripcord as well. Uh, I think um, this was an amazing space and I hope everyone has learned a lot. Make sure to follow the speakers up as well. And if you have any questions or want to chat with them, definitely try and connect with them too. I mean, the speakers connect with each other as well. I mean, you're all amazing. Um, and yeah, I mean, if anyone has any final words, like points they want to raise to people, like uh, a little bit of inspiration, a little bit of hope, uh, feel free to do so. I've got like one thing. This might be, uh, people might disagree with me, but my hypothesis is that uh, this month, uh, especially next month in January, we're going to see a lot of people returning to NFTs. Maybe they've got some New Year uh, goals and objectives to, to you know create a side hustle. Maybe people re-entering back from when they left uh, when the bear market hit or people coming in for the first time as they wrap up work and get on holiday. So I think that we will see you know a, a bit of an influx of people into here. I'm not too sure about volume, maybe a bit of volume, but definitely an influx of people. Uh, so think about how you can capitalize on that whether it's uh, networking, positioning yourself, getting into the right communities before the rush comes in. Yeah, first of all, I just want to say thank you, Vrithi. This is awesome. Uh, check Sergis out. If you're not following them, follow them. They have some big shit coming, so stay tuned. But I mean, like, the last things that I wanted to leave with is, like, their main points. So, like, I tell this to everyone. Uh, like, there's a great entrepreneur in a bad market. The market wins. And if there's a lousy entrepreneur in a good market, the market wins again. So... What I want to derive out of that is remain ambiguous. Don't go into your marketing campaigns with any outrageous expectations. Don't come in with a set price. You can have a ballpark, but at the end of the day, you know, your mid price and what you want to accomplish needs to be uh, derived from, you know, what the market gives you. So remain ambiguous. Um, secondly, we've been saying it all night. Your network is your net worth. Find a bunch of cool people who want red share, no matter what the final price is. That is absolutely amazing. Finding people that want part of the project, no matter, you know, what the monetary gain is. I get it. You know, at the end of the day, we're all business people. But finding those people and finding those key team members will 10x anything that you thought was possible. And then lastly, you know, sell your vision, sell your passion. Don't come to the markets with an oversaturated product. And yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it for me. Thank you, Ruthie. Uh, all good, man. I say ripcord. I'll close my comments with educating you oneself. So re, if, if this spaces are on marketing, so read about Web2 marketing, Web3 marketing, not from YouTube, but actually buy books, hold the books, read them, uh, understand what is being told. And then most often you'll see the comparison. Take that knowledge, put it into business, uh, speak to people who are successful and then bounce these ideas. That way, when you speak to your prospect marketing team, you already know something rather than coming out as a noob. So yeah, I think those that to me for this space is, is critical, educating yourself and then taking the knowledge outside. Beautiful. 
Oh, man. All right. No, I absolutely enjoyed running this space. And, you know, where there's going to be plenty more uh, like this full of value and insights for the people here. Um, you know, if you have any further questions, definitely DM it or comment on that thread and we'll try to get back to you guys. But I absolutely enjoyed it. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Nikki G, for coming up to speak as well. Mickey, uh, for accepting the invite to come up and speak. We really appreciate it. The Surgeons community loves you both. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it a lot. Beautiful. All right. I'll catch you all later. See you. See you. Cheers. Bye. Uh,